All right, good morning, church. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Psalm chapter 19 this morning. And uh, we are going to continue through our series in the book of Psalms. Not hitting every Psalm because that would take forever, but kind of hopping our way through. So Psalm 19, if you need a Bible, there should be a black hardback ESV somewhere near you. And uh, just go ahead and take that out, part it right there in the middle, and you should be pretty close to Psalm 19. As we talk about, God speaks and we listen. God speaks and we listen. Now, um, as you're turning there, let me go ahead and tell you, uh, my son, when he was younger, we had a couple of teachers come to us and tell us that uh, our son probably had a hearing problem. And so it alarmed us, and we took him and had him checked. You know, they put you in that little room and put the big uh, headphones on your head that look like they come from the 1970s, and they give you that little button, and they say, now, when you hear a beep, I want you to hit the beep, hit the button for the beep, and and like it goes back and forth between both ears. Y'all follow me? So we take our son, and we're kind of, we're, oh, man, I hope he doesn't have hearing loss. This is devastating. We take him in there. We put him in the room. Nails it 100%. Boom, boom, boom. Gets them all. And the doctor's like, your, your son does not have a hearing problem. Your son has a listening problem, right? He has a listening problem because he can hear everything. And so, uh, you know, some, some of you wives right now are nudging your husband because it kind of is a thing that men have, right? It's the thing that men have. They, they can be looking right at you and just totally tune you out. Um, and so you might have missed it that there is a men's meeting, right, that's coming up next Sunday night. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm the most excited about this one because I know Dr. Jamie Work personally, and he has lived a life that has been devoted to the Lord, so much so that he has lived his life as a pastor, then left the pastorate, went on the mission field, and unfortunately, a few years back, lost his wife. And he will give a strong challenge to us men to be faithful in our homes. And so, wives, your, your husband may not even have heard that. So you're, you're going to have to sign him up for that, okay? So uh, he, my son, he had a listening problem, not a hearing problem. So uh, we do the same. And so as we get into Psalm 19, I want you to understand that God is shouting to us his existence. He's shouting to us to look to him, to, be, to draw near to him. He's shouting to us, and sometimes it's not that we can't hear him, it's that we're not listening to him. That we can tune God out in all areas of our life because we are so fixated on ourselves. Am I right? That God speaks and we are to listen. So as you turn there, in Psalm 19, you're going to see that God is speaking both in what theologians call general revelation, which is how he reveals himself generally to all people through creation, and then through special revelation, how he reveals himself through, number one, his son, Jesus Christ, and his written word. So, Psalm 19, I think I gave you enough time to get there. If you'll follow along with me, I'm reading from the ESV. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing 
hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord is right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is God's word. First thing I want you to see is God speaks in creation. We listen in captivation. God speaks in creation and we listen in captivation. We are captivated by God. The first verse there, it says in Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. When's the last time that you just marveled at a sunset? As you looked out towards the west and you saw the orange sky and you saw the clouds taking all different types of shapes and colors and you just marveled at the, at the idea that God is declaring his glory. Oh, he is shouting to us. Are we listening? The second verse, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. If you think back, imagine God not allowing us the awesome privilege of seeing the night sky. We would have no idea how small we are, but when we gaze into the universe, as we gaze into the cosmos, as we see the stars, and as we allow, we allow our eyes to transition so that we can see further and further and further, we are amazed at the fact that there is a creator who is shouting to us the glory of God. God's trying desperately to get our attention, and yet sometimes we're not listening because we are so fixated on ourselves. There is verbal communication and there is nonverbal communication. Verbal communication being that which we know is speaking or writing to one another, where you can write it down and understand or listen and understand, and then nonverbal, which is all of your facial expressions and gestures and eye contact. And researchers say that 93, up to 93% of all communication is nonverbal. So let me, let me test this out on you. I'm going to fold my arms and I'm going to snarl my face. And I'm going to say, I love you. Does that communicate pretty well? I love you. Wow, I just feel the warmth all of a sudden, right? But if I open my arms to you and I soften my face, I love you. Man, what? What do you, I mean, there's some communication that takes place when you've got verbal and nonverbal taking place. And so I want you to understand that there is a nonverbal, arms open wide God who is saying, I love you. To the glory of God. Creation is shouting the glory of God. 
God created all things for the purpose of displaying his glory. All things. All things were created for his glory. What a remarkable thought. As we look at these words, as we walk through Psalm 19, it says that every sunrise, every sunset, every star in the sky is there to declare, to proclaim, to speak, to reveal his glory in all creation. God is speaking. Are we listening? Even from what Paul says in Colossians as he points to Christ and he says that he is, the in, he is the image of the invisible God. That Christ being the firstborn, he says, the firstborn of all creation, not that he was born first, but he was before all creation. That he is eternal. He has always been. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Everything is shouting the glory of God because everything was created for the glory of God. Let me take you back to science class real quick. Are you ready? Albert Moeller, not a scientist, but a theologian, says this. The entire universe, or cosmos, fills us with wonder and awe at the creator. He created every animal, plant, fungi, protozoa, eukaryotic kingdoms. Some of you are like, what is that? That's a human cell, eukaryotic. Yeah, prokaryotic, eukaryotic. Yeah, it's all coming back. I know it is, right? Yep. He created elephants and frogs, deciduous and coniferous forests, mushrooms, bacteria, and even the smallest amoeba. Such biodiversity testifies to God's delight in the complexity of the universe, and it brings him great glory. We must understand that time, space, and matter only exist together. Thus, prior to creation, God was outside of time, space, and matter. God alone existed as the Trinity. Now get this in your mind, that there is a God who created all things, created time, space, and matter, but before time, space, and matter, there he was, God. And he decided, I'm going to create time, space, and matter for, the, for my glory to be shown throughout all areas, all things. He's shouting to us the glory of God, even from the night sky to the smallest of cells to the magnificent human eye that is so detailed. All of creation is shouting the glory of God. So let me ask you, are you responding? Are you listening in captivation? Are you captivated? When's the last time you stood on the edge of the ocean and you looked out at the waves crashing over and over and over and you said, glory to God? When's the last time you climbed to a mountaintop and you looked off on a peak and you saw as far as you could rolling hills and and water and streams and lakes, and you just said, glory to God. When was the last time you stood out in your, in your yard and you watched the sunset in all its beauty array of different colors, and you said, glory to God? Or you woke up early, early enough to see the sunrise, and you sipped your coffee because it was early, and you said, glory to God. It's a new day. 
It's a new dawn. And God has revealed himself for his glory. When's the last time you sat outside at night and allowed your eyes to adjust to all the stars that you can see and you said, glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. We have a God who is shouting to us his existence. Isaiah said it this way in 40:22, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and his, his inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Going on in verse 26 and 28, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because of his strong, he is strong in power, not one is missing. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is immeasurable. As God said to Job in chapter 38, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Creation is shouting the glory of God. God speaks in creation to reveal his glory. All of creation is declaring, proclaiming, speaking and revealing his glory. Are you listening? Verse four. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. God has revealed his glory so that there is no area on planet earth that is hidden from it. Just like the sun's warmth and heat hits all areas of the world, so does the glory of God. There is none then who is without excuse of knowing who God is because God is the creator God who created all things. As we read last week in Romans chapter 1 verse 20, for his invisible, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So he has revealed himself to all areas. Just as the sun comes up and goes and its warmth hits all areas, so has God revealed himself. John Piper says, nature itself fills the earth with the glory of the Lord. But that is not the ultimate goal. In order for God's purpose in creation to be attained, there must be a world filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's not that we just know that God is shouting his glory, but he wants the knowledge of the Lord to fill the earth. So how will they know? How will they know if there's general revelation where we are without excuse, but what about special revelation where God speaks, where it's verbal in the incarnation of his son and in the written word that we have? You see, it's one thing for creation to shout out in worship. It's another thing for man who was made in the image of God, even as Chris read, who turned on God, who, who stained themselves with sin, to then turn back and give worship and glory to God. As Jesus was riding in on his donkey on Palm Sunday, 
And as the palm branches are waving and people are rejoicing and shouting, it reads like this in Luke chapter 19, 37 through 40. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Jesus says, listen, if they don't worship me, then creation will. Creation will shout the glory of God. So, creation speaks of the glory of God, and we are captivated by his beauty. But that's not enough to save us from the treason that we have committed against the creator. General revelation is delivered to all men through creation. However, it's not sufficient enough to give you a knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary for salvation. General revelation does not reveal Jesus Christ or his work of redemption for sinners. Thus, there is a need for what is called special revelation. There is a need. General revelation shouts to the glory of God. And it is enough to condemn us, but it is not enough to save us. So God reveals his glory in creation, but get this. God reveals his grace in Christ. It's one thing for the world to know about the glory of God. It's another thing for them to know about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So no one is excused. The glory of God has reached all places on this planet Earth, but not the grace of God. They've not heard of Jesus Christ, so God speaks in his incarnation. He reveals himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and this was the plan before time, space, and matter were even in existence. We read this in Ephesians. I feel like I read this verse like every other week. One, three through six, and then seven through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. There was a plan before things were created for the glory of God and the grace of God to be revealed that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse seven, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There has been a plan from the foundation of the world since time, space, and matter existed for God's glory and God's grace to be revealed, his glory through creation and his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. This is amazing. This is a big God. This is a huge God. Therefore, the foundations of the world, before them, before time, before space, before God created, before man sinned, before we marred the image of God, he was working out all things for his glory and his grace. 
So the question, the question is the same question that Paul had in Romans chapter 10, 14 through 19. If, if God's glory has been everywhere and no one is without excuse, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For, quoting Psalm 19, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Our college students over New Year's break were given the opportunity to go to a cross conference. And in the cross conference, our students, our college students were allowed to sit and listen to different missionaries as they explained what their work is among the nations. And one couple got up there and they began to explain in detail the work that they were doing to take a, a tribe's language that was verbal only, not written. They were not literate in their own language. They were taking it, they were learning that language, then they were going to teach them a written version of their language, and then they were going to write the Bible in that language so that they could have the written words so that salvation could be revealed to them. And so, how important is special revelation? Well, I'm going to let them tell you the story on the screen. You know, when we moved in, we told them four things that we were going to do. We're going to learn your language and culture. We're going to teach you to write and read in your language for the first time. We're going to translate God's word, and then we're going to teach you God's word. A few months ago, one of my friends, Autumn she came up to me. She's like, Emily, I really need to talk to you. This is really important. I'm like, yeah, let's talk. Let's sit down and talk. So we started talking. She said, Emily, you've learned our language. You all know our language. You, you know about our behaviors. You know who we are. And I just graduated from the literacy program like two weeks ago. So the next thing, God's word. When are we going to hear God's talk? Is it coming soon? How much longer? And there was so much joy that I would be able to tell her, yes, Automate, David, our coworkers, Nathan, Chad, they're all working in their offices right now. Right now, they are translating God's word into your language, and it's coming really, really soon. And she grabbed my hand. She said, Sika, 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 which means thank you, because she cannot wait to hear God's talk. What, one of my best friends, this was um, right before our furlough about two and a half years ago, uh, we're, we're sitting in my office, the, the helicopter, we're a helicopter location only. Um, the helicopter has landed, our, our bags are being packed, and my best friend and I are sitting in the office and kind of exchanging words and, and, and sorrow about me leaving and him staying. And, and he looks at me and he says, David, can you just tell me what this message is that you've come to bring us? And I said, oh, you know, we tell him all the time. Uh, Eric, you're just gonna have to wait. You guys, just be patient. It's coming, it's coming. And he says, but David, you're leaving. So if you leave and you don't return, how, how will I hear the message? And I, and I promise him and I'm like, man, I'm gonna return. We're gonna come back. You're gonna hear this message. And he says, but David, you're leaving, 
And, and, and what if I die? What if I die and I can't hear this message and I didn't have an answer? And I said, just wait, just wait, it's coming. Fast forward to this year, this last year, Eric and I are sitting in my office and we're going through the translation that is starting to be compiled to tell them this one redemptive historical story about how Jesus Christ has redeemed his people. And he hears the story of Lazarus and he slaps the table. He whistles, that's their exclamation. And he says, I love this story of Lazarus, not because Jesus brought him out of the tomb, but that a man would have the audacity to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Fast forward a few weeks later, we're going through our account of uh, the resurrection in Luke chapter 24 and, and the women are at the tomb and, and the angels are there and the angels are saying, why are you looking for someone alive among dead bodies? And Eric again slaps the table. He whistles and he says, yes, he cannot be in the tomb because he's the one who is the resurrection and the life. Friends, tonight, tonight is not New Year's Eve. Tonight is the eve of the year that the Maliali people will hear the gospel for the very first time. How important is the word of God. God reveals his glory in creation, yes, but then David goes on, starting in verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God speaks in his commandments and we listen in compliance. There is God's word that has been revealed to us, even given to us in our own language so that we can have a revival of the soul. God is working these things out because his word is sufficient. The Belgic Confession of 1561 says, we believe that those holy scriptures fully contain the will of God and that whatsoever man ought to believe unto salvation is sufficient, sufficiently taught therein. The Westminster Confession of 1646, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressively set down in scripture, scripture or by good and necessary consequence made, may be deduced from scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added whether by new revelations of the spirit or traditions of men. Scripture is sufficient for the salvation 
to reveal the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. It is the redemptive story of Jesus. And that is why it was so important for the Mali Ali people to have it in their own language so that they could have a revival of their souls. Verse 7, the law, the Torah in Hebrew, of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The word of God is perfectly complete. It's sufficient, and it's without error. This word reviving means to turn back, to return to the starting point. And that scripture actually is so perfect. It is such, such a word of the Lord that it begins to reverse as you read it the stain of sin and draw you in sanctification more and more and more back to where God had originally intended. That one day when we stand before him in glorification, we will be made completely new. And he begins that work now as we are in his word. God's perfect word, the law, revives the soul in a way that when it is consumed, it literally has the perfect ability to revive, restore, or regenerate the wickedness and brokenness of a man's soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony, the witness of who Jesus Christ is, the word of God is reliable. It is the reliable, redemptive story of God revealed in Christ for the glory of God. It is the precepts of the Lord, and they are right, rejoicing in the heart, the statutes or the precepts are right. The moral principles of God are revealed so that we may know when we are living right and when we are living wrong. So as we read God's word, it shows us what is right and what is wrong. Can you imagine living, knowing that you're sinning against God, but not knowing what you are doing wrong? So the Lord's word reveals that to us. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commands of the Lord are pure. Following God's commands lead to a life of holiness and righteousness and purity. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear or the moral reverence that's revealed in the word of God leads us to live a clean life. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God's judgments are true and righteous. The word of God gives us the legal decision of God concerning what is right and good and just. His word is the standard by which he judges righteousness and wickedness. How could we neglect it? How could we put it on a shelf and let it collect dust? More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. As Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word to us is continue in what you have learned. 
Because there is not a day that you spend in God's word that he does not speak to you. There is not a day that you spend in God's word that he is not working to revive our souls, to lead us towards repentance, to lead us into a greater understanding of his son, Jesus Christ, and how desperately wicked we are and how hopeless we are without him. Oh, it's better than honey. As Jerry Bridges says, there is absolutely no shortcut to holiness that bypasses or gives little priority to a consistent intake of, of the Bible. If we want to grow in holiness and righteousness and faith, there is no shortcut in neglecting God's word. As Wearsby puts it, the word in the hand is fine. The word in the head is better, but the word in the heart is what transforms us and matures us in Christ. For us all to hold a Bible in our hand, it's fine. For us to learn it, that's better. But if we would hide our, his word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him, wow. That is what transforms us. Because his word is alive and active. His word is worth desiring, craving, and longing for. And so David ends here with contemplation. God speaks with conviction. We listen with contemplation. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Two things that David points out. First one, hidden faults. David knew that he had ignored and obeyed, disobeyed God's word even more than he was even aware of. Do you realize that there are hidden faults in your life? That there are things that you do on a daily basis that are sinful against a holy, holy, holy God that you're not even aware of? David did. David knew that there were things in his life that, that he had just missed that went against God. Then he mentions presumptuous sins. Sins that we pridefully continue to do without remorse or change. We all know these sins. They are the ones that we're most inclined to and particularly vulnerable to. These are the sins we keep hidden or the ones we make provisions for or the ones we make excuses of. They're the sins that become habits. We might say things like, well, I know better, but, well, I know I shouldn't, but, well, I know God's word says this, but. These are presumptuous sins. These are sins that we arrogantly practice. The more we sin, the more arrogantly disobedient we become. Do you realize that? The more we allow things to stay in our life that we're not remorseful of and repented of, the more and more and more we will engage in a sinful lifestyle. The more we sin, the more inclined we are to sin again and again and again, but yet we tell ourselves, ah, oh, just this one time. I'll, I'll just make an exception this one time. But yet we've created a habit and a pattern of sinning over and over and over I'm going to ask you, is there a habit of sin in your life right now that you know that you arrogantly 
and pridefully continue in, even though there is a holy, holy, holy God that holds all things together. And you know that because his word has revealed to you that this is not right. As I mentioned, Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. David here ends this psalm with a cry for help. David here ends with, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Oh, Lord, I need help. Oh, Lord, your glory is obvious. Your grace has been displayed. And I need your help. Because we cannot buy into the lie that as long as we don't act on it, it's okay. Because even our thoughts and our words lead us towards sin. And the more we think about things and the more we talk about things, eventually we'll become more susceptible to act in those things. And so David would say, O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Because let me tell you, our human effort will never be a stable enough ground for us to walk a Christian life. He has to be our rock. He has to be our redeemer. He has to be our only hope. He has to be our source of grace and mercy and love. And the beautiful part is, he's shouting to us his glory. He's revealing to us his grace. Will you respond by reading this with me? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we bow before you, we do ask for help. That you, being in control of all things, being holy, being sovereign, that you would lead our hearts and our minds and our words to places that honor and glorify you, that worship you. And Lord, right now, if there be any hidden sins, bring them to the surface in our lives so that we may repent. Lord, if there are presumptuous sins that we are arrogantly continuing in, bring us to our knees in repentance. Oh, Lord, be our rock and be our redeemer because we are in desperate need of help. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?